Before we start, just a quick reminder, please make sure you're subscribed to our show wherever you get your podcasts, and please leave us a review. It really helps other people discover the show. All right, let's get to it. Hello, welcome to Powerhouse Politics. I'm ABC News Chief White House Correspondent Jonathan Carl, And I'm ABC News Political Director Rick Klein. Got a big show today, Rick. We've got uh, a guest we've been trying to get actually for a long time on Powerhouse Politics, uh, Mark Short, the head of legislative affairs for the White House. He is the guy that President Trump counts on uh, to work with Congress. He, a very big deal in that White House because of his relationships on Capitol, heading up the legislative affairs team. And the question of what's next after the debacle of health care is on everyone's lips right now. And we're seeing open warfare in the Republican Party, the aftermath of that failure very, very ugly. You have the president himself tweeting about House Freedom Caucus, maybe suggesting primary challenges against him. The Speaker of the House saying, don't go with Democrats. We are seeing some ugly, ugly times inside the Republican Party. But, you know, you you mentioned the the open warfare uh, this morning. Pretty remarkable uh, tweet uh, from the president. I guess we've said that before. Uh, But this one um, saying the Freedom Caucus will hurt the entire Republican agenda if they don't get on the team and fast. And then he adds this, Rick. We must fight them and Dems in 2018. We must fight them and Dems in 2018. The president is threatening to go to war in the midterms with fellow Republicans in the Freedom Caucus. Fellow Republicans, many of whom are Trump supporters and are from heavily Trump districts. This is the Trumpian wing of the Republican Party in the House, the Freedom Caucus folks, and they did not go along with the health care bill. They, they embarrassed defied him. him. They defied him. And embarrassed a, him. It was, it was a bad moment for, for him. But then the question is, how do you go after them? How do you fight them? Do you, do you challenge these folks from the right? Is that possible? Do you challenge them with moderates, with people that might be derided as rhinos? I don't know how that fits exactly. The White House isn't expanding on that tweet yet. And then to add in the issue with the Democrats, you, you know that the Democrats are not going to work with, uh, on a repeal of Obamacare until or unless the president drops his insistence on repealing Obamacare. We heard from the White House press secretary, there's a red line around that. That's not going to happen. So if he's serious about, about, about working with Democrats, that's the thing he has to do. If not, it's fighting. And here's the thing. Do, do some math, John. If he's fighting the Democrats and the Freedom Caucus, does he have a majority? In the House? Does he have a majority in the I think Senate? If, I think if you have none of the Democrats and you have none of the Freedom Caucus, uh, you're probably not going to get it to 18. I think we actually saw that. I think there's an example yeah, of that yeah, in pretty yeah, recent history. Bit. Exactly. Um, but uh, the interesting comments from Paul Ryan on CBS, uh, CBS This Morning, uh, where he warned basically the Freedom Caucus that if you don't go along with the president – you're going to force his hand, and he's going to have to work with Democrats. And Ryan suggested this would be a terrible thing. That's right. And, and that got a response from Senator Bob Corker over on the Senate side. A Republican senator is calling a sad day that the Speaker of the House would say, don't work with the other, other party to try to solve problems. This is a portrait of dysfunctional Washington. And a lot of this is what Donald Trump inherited. A lot of it is exacerbated by his presence and his personality and the way that his health care bill played out. This, these are some real rifts inside the governing party. Or maybe it's the portrait of a Washington that is about to be transformed. Well, there's that. And the, the method behind the madness of the tweets as well, that, that is this what gets the Freedom Caucus in line? There are still glimmers, John, as you've been reporting on, of, of trying to get health care done. 
it's the, it's the zombie bill. It's back this week and and still alive. Bloomberg reported yesterday that uh, citing two uh, Republican sources in the House that they might have a vote as early as next week again. It doesn't feel like that right now. It doesn't feel like that. I will ask Mark Short about that. I've got a feeling I know what his answer is. Uh, but uh, I get the sense that some of these Freedom Caucus uh, uh, members feel a little bit lost. Uh, mm-hmm. they, 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 they made their big stand and now they're left in the rubble saying, now what? Yeah, and they, and, and they now have to deal with the consequences of, of what happened last week, which was an unthinkable thing, that you defy the president on a goal as broadly accepted in the Republican Party as repealing Obamacare. They knew what the fallout would be. These are not the most popular members of Congress. They were not the most popular members of Congress before this. Among their colleagues. Among their mean. colleagues, yeah, exactly. Yeah, right. they, they're fine in their districts for the most part. But yes, their colleagues do not like these people. We've heard from them. From them. We talked to Tom Cole last week about those, those frustrations right before yeah. the vote went down. And, and you're right. They are increasingly isolated. And how do they react now that the president of the United States is calling them out publicly and saying, we will fight you? It's interesting, isn't it, the, the delay response, though? So as the bill goes down, you know, gets pulled on Friday, the president did make the glancing reference to learning about loyalty. Yes. But he but he resisted the urge to attack the Freedom Caucus. He attacked Democrats, actually. Right. Um, and even Sean Spicer in, in, in the subsequent briefings, I mean, you know, it's clear the White House isn't happy with, with the Freedom Caucus, but they've they've held back. And now you have via Twitter, and you wonder you know, what, what the story is on this. We'll, we'll try to find out. It was an 8.07 a.m. tweet. Was this like on his way leaving the uh, residence to head over to the Oval Office? He just picked up. We know he's got a new iPhone. Or was he watching cable? Was I mean, he watching was cable? People, was people something talking about on? this all week, sure. Um, but, to, but to say uh, that they need to uh, get on the team and fast, we must fight them and Dems in 2018, that's that's. That's a threat. <laughs> it is. It's, la- it's laying <laughs> no, down no. a marker, and, and it's at a time where the, the next steps in the, ge- in the agenda are being so closely watched because we don't know where they go exactly next, where they go to try to get their 216 or 218 or whatever they need a majority in the House, uh, and, and a time where the dysfunction inside the party has made itself so evident. So there's another thing that, that, uh, that, that's popped today, and that's uh, another report from uh, the CBO, the Congressional Budget Office. And as you remember, uh, kind of Ryan's view of, of, of CBO was – and actually this is, this is what the White House said. This is actually what the White House said uh, just on, on, on Wednesday. Sean Spicer said CBO does a, does a good job when it comes to projecting deficits and you know, num- budget numbers, but they do a bad job in projecting the number of people that will be covered under, under, uh, under health care. Uh, so this was just Wednesday. Well, let's look at what they've said today on the issue of budgets and deficits. New report out saying I'm, – I'm just going to quote this because sure. I, I think this is pretty, pretty significant. If current law remained generally unchanged, the United States would face steadily increasing federal budget deficits and debt over the next 30 years, reaching the highest level of debt relative to GDP ever experienced in this country. And by the way, that includes – including the period right after World War II where we leveraged the hmm. entire country to, to, to defeat Nazi Germany and the Japanese. Wow. So how does this play then? I mean, we're, we're at a time where the biggest issue is even just keeping the lights on to the federal government. How do you begin to cope with that? Well, and I, I, you recall, right, during the campaign, the president said – he said various things about debt and deficit, but at one point he said that he would eliminate – the entire the debt debt yes not just the deficit the debt I believe. pay it all yeah, off that's right he did have a plan do you remember when he was floating running as in as a um, 
as a third-party candidate back in uh, in 1999. This was his first Roger Stone uh, uh, effort, uh, and he even made a trip up up to up to New Hampshire and did, did some other travels. He floated a tax, a one-time tax, a wealth tax. And I believe it would have been the largest tax in the history of the country. No, no, in the, the history of mankind. Okay, I'm sorry. Uh, sorry. Yes. sorry to understand it, yes. Yeah, yeah, the Soviets a... didn't even think of one like this. This was, <laughs> this was a tax uh, that would be a one-time I, – I, I, we'll have to go back to the, yeah. to the tape on this. Wealth was, it, tax. Was, it, was it 15% or I don't was it 10%? Number, yeah. but, on, but on all estates valued over $10 million. Yeah. And in one fell swoop, he projected that it would, uh, that it would pay off the debt. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So how history would have been different if that President Trump had been elected (laughs) (laughs) instead. But I I think it raises now questions of of budget management, but also governing competence, because they're going to have to cobble together some coalitions very, very quickly. And how much do they stick to their priorities? We're seeing uh, a moment where the the Trump presidency is crumbling under its own weight and under the, the collected weight of Washington. And we didn't even mention the, the, the Russia latest with the Senate with the Senate Intelligence Committee now digging in for a, a longer haul of a fight around that. How about that the, the contrast between the, uh, the the House Intelligence Committee and the Senate Intelligence Committee? I, I think that one of the stranger things about the Trump era so far is the way Devin Nunes, a guy that nobody outside of a handful of congressional reporters and probably not even everybody from his uh, Fresno district knew who he was. You know, right. And now he's become this like this figure. He's he's chased by reporters wherever he goes. He's, uh, you know, he's, he's portrayed as the great villain, uh, you know, by uh, by by Democrats, um, kind of bumbling by yeah. by others. Uh, he was compared to Inspector Clouseau by uh, by Lindsey Graham. Uh, and and basically that committee on the House side is ground to a halt. Yeah. Uh, Adam Schiff, uh, some would argue, was played a very partisan role on, on the other side, uh, whereas you've got uh, on the Senate side, it's like it looks like they're serious about having a bipartisan investigation. It's like the grownups have arrived and they and, and, and to try to salvage now, A, an investigation, uh, but also B, I think confidence in congressional oversight of intelligence matters and of this particular matter when you know that the FBI isn't going to be forthcoming with a lot of details. Uh, and I, I think it's also chilling how long this investigation is likely to take. That's another thing we heard from the Senate. They've got 20-some-odd witnesses they're hoping to talk to, including Jared Kushner, including, we would assume, people like Manafort and Roger Stone. Um, but they're nowhere close. This is not going to be a next week or next month. This is going to linger. It's going to be out there for a very long time. And even as new details come come. Uh, come out almost daily or a couple times a week on this story, it's going to be out there. And I do think that message from the Senate investigators is an important one. Can you imagine if we get to the point where we have public hearings with Roger Stone and, and Paul Manafort <laughs> sitting at the uh, – are they at the witness table together? What happens? How does this, how does this play out? Remarkable to think about. And then, and then the level of what if Jared Kushner has to testify in, a, in, in that kind of setting. Uh, they, they made clear this week that, that Jared volunteered to, to, to talk to, not necessarily to testify under oath, because I think there's some questions of executive privilege. I but can't I, imagine he ever testifies in, in a no, public hearing. I, I think that's right. But I, we'll, we'll, see, we'll have to see where it leads, because the, the, the revelation that he talked not just with the ambassador, but with a prominent Russian banker, that happened, bank that happened to have Russian mob ties, those are uh, those are those are serious, and of course he has a real job in the White House. And, and while that all goes on, of course the, the the big question is what's going to happen with the president's agenda. Uh, there's the talk we refer to, uh, you know, some some in the House uh, feeling some regret for perhaps uh, uh, killing the, uh, uh, the the Republican uh, alternative on Obamacare, uh, saying they want another chance at it. 
Uh, let's go to the guy that really has all the answers on this, uh, a friend of the program, Mark Short, uh, the uh, Director of Legislative Affairs for the White House. Mr. Short, are you with us? Hey, John. It's good to be here. Thanks a lot for joining us. I know this is an incredibly busy time for you. I, I wanted to, to, to get right to uh, what we heard from the president this morning uh, via his Twitter feed, uh, this threat that he has made to the Freedom Caucus. Um, first of all, you're, you're, you're the head of legislative affairs. Did you, did you know this was coming? Jonathan, I think that where we are is that uh, we all have campaigned on repeal and replace for quite a long time. And there's a commitment that, uh, that we have all collectively made to the American people that uh, Obamacare is failing, and it's our job to put in place a better health care system. And so I think the president's going to hold accountable members that he finds are standing in the way, whether or not that's people in the Freedom Caucus or, frankly, if that's people in the Tuesday group. So I think that uh, the president, or also, as you've seen, Democrats. So I think that, uh, that the tweet it speaks for itself, but... Uh, um, the president's going to continue to look to try to find a path forward so that we can deliver on the promises we made to the American people. That, that, is, that is fascinating. We'll see how that plays out. I want to, on a related note, play for you uh, uh, something that uh, Speaker of the House Paul Ryan said uh, this morning on CBS This Morning. What I worry about, Nora, is that if we don't do this, then he'll just go work with Democrats. Uh, to try and, and, and change Obamacare, and, and that's not going to—that's hardly a conservative thing. This is a can-do president. The president. He's a business guy who 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 wants to get things done, and I know that he wants to get things done with the Republican Congress. But if this Republican Congress allows the perfect to be the enemy of the good, well, the I pre- worry we'll push the president into um, in, into um, working with Democrats. He's been uh, suggesting that as much. First of all, is there something a little odd hearing the Speaker of the House saying he worries that the president might work with Democrats? I mean, what, what, would, be, what would be wrong with that? Well, I think that, look, the president has said he wants to be a president for all Americans, Republican or Democrat. And I think he will see him to look to, to include ideas from Democrats when they're good ideas that can make change. You've seen the president meet with uh, the Congressional Black Caucus. You've seen him meet with many Democrats on trade policy. You've seen him meet with Democrats regarding drug pricing. So he's open to, wherever there's a good idea, wanting to embrace it and not look at it from a partisan lens. Having said that, Democrats made it very clear to our White House from the start that they would have no part in wanting to repeal Obamacare. And so uh, that, that has led us into a very narrow lane of wanting to work simply with Republicans to help accomplish that. And it is something that I think the American people recognize, that premiums are increasing, that doctors are choosing to get out of the healthcare profession, and insurers are bailing out of the marketplace. And so the system as it is can't stand. We would welcome the chance to work with Democrats on repealing Obamacare. But unfortunately, most, in fact, all have said that they will only work with us um, down the road on other issues. So the president has looked for other issues where he can find bipartisan lanes. And, um, and I mentioned several of those. In addition, one other that's, that's coming up, you'll see the president continue to be focused on is, is human trafficking, which is not just a, a domestic um, uh, terrible situation, but it's also an international plague. And so you will see him continue to look to work with Democrats. Uh, on health care, though, I think that, uh, that the pathway is probably one that after Obamacare is repealed, there'll be more um, bipartisan efforts. But the effort to actually repeal it seems like that's going to have to be done more inside the Republican Party. So just to be clear, the Senate Democrats, I think it was 44 of them, sent a letter to the president yesterday saying that they would like to, they're open, ready and willing, I think was the phrase, to, to work with the president on, uh, on health care. 
But first, as a first step, he must repeal the executive order he signed on day one. That uh, uh, was the beginning of the process of, of curtailing Obamacare and take the idea of full repeal off the table. My, my guess is, based on what you said, those two are non-starters. I think that the American people want Obamacare repeal, Johnson, and that's a commitment that the president made to voters. It's a commitment that Republicans have made since 2010 to voters. And uh, I think that uh, um, right now uh, there's, there's great concern about what's happened in the marketplaces, and so we're committed to repealing it. We do look forward to working with them in, uh, in fixing the marketplaces, but I think the first step is one that, uh, that they've made clear that they're not willing to be a part of. So what is the status right now of, of health care? We saw it pulled from the floor last week. Are there active negotiations to bring it back? What's the soonest that you could imagine seeing another vote scheduled? I think it's probably something that, that uh, is most likely not to happen before the Easter recess. And I think that uh, when, when members go home and they have a chance to, um, to meet with their constituents and constituents are able to express their concern about health care and ask Congress to get back to work to help fix it, I suspect you'll see a renewed effort um, after that point uh, when members return to say, uh, this is not something we can just let stand. We need to do a better job of coming back with a solution. And, and we, so I would imagine this spring you'll see those, uh, those uh, conversations heat back up. And, Mark Short, when you talk about the, the, the president vowing to or being committed to holding accountable these members, what does that mean? Does that mean primary challenges if it comes to that next year? Uh, Jonathan, we're not we're not having that speculative conversation at this point. There's been no conversations in the White House about primary challenges. I think that uh, that there is though a recognition that uh, that we as a as a Republican Party need to show an ability to lead and to govern. And um, and so when when members need to have extra encouragement or need to be held accountable to their voters, then that we want to help remind their voters to say, hey. Um, we're trying to do the best we can to repeal Obamacare here, but uh, but your member is standing in the way. And if there's somebody's being helpful in providing better suggestions or bringing more votes to the table, we're all ears. In fact, you heard the president say that to the very end of this uh, this last uh, deliberation that as long as there were members coming forward with ideas that improved the plan and added votes, we wanted to hear their input. So look, look pull back from from healthcare and look at the the big picture. What what do you what do you do next? You have to, uh, first of all, the government funding, of course, runs out at the end of next month. Uh, there's all this talk, talk of tax reform. Uh, you, you mentioned you know, some, 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 other, some other issues like, like human trafficking. What, what, what does 2017 look like when, when, when we look back? What has the president accomplished? Well, John, I think that the, um, the first uh, uh, priority right in front of us right now is confirming the Supreme Court justice. And uh, that's a battle that obviously will play out in the Senate uh, next week. But uh, uh, we're very excited that Judge Gorsuch has uh, such a sterling record, has been uh, widely praised by, uh, by, uh, by other jurists across the country and is somebody that is uh, uh, known as uh, having graduated top of his class at Harvard and Harvard Law School and, and at Oxford. And so we think that he's somebody who, um, I'm sorry, Columbia and Harvard Law School, we think he's somebody who's going to, uh, be a great uh, justice on the Supreme Court, and um, and that's our first priority right now. Because look, the the future of the court is something that this administration really has an opportunity to help shape. There are over a hundred federal judicial um, appointments that are vacant at the moment, and um, and I think that uh, that uh, this administration is committed to helping to nominate the best qualified jurists, and certainly Judge Gorsuch is that. 
So, Mark, it's Rick Klein again. One, one question just about basic math. So you got a lesson, obviously. You know math, and you know how it, how it works and how hard it is to get to a majority in the House. Uh, you had an example last week where all the Democrats were against you and a big chunk of the, of the Freedom Caucus and some of the moderates were against you. But now if, if, if the president is, is, is digging in against the Freedom Caucus, digging in against the Democrats, how do you get to 216 or 218 or whatever the magic number ends up being really on anything? How does the president build these coalitions? What's the mindset about how you get there? Is it, is it kind of case by case? Yeah, Rick, I, I think that it's important to understand what the first piece of legislation was and why it had to be done the way it did. Uh, I don't accept the premise that the president is digging in against Democrats. As I mentioned from the start, there have been many groups of Democrats who have invited over the White House to have conversations on other issues that I think are important to the American people. And you'll continue to see him reach out uh, when it makes sense. The challenge with, uh, with Obamacare uh, repeal, again, is that all Democrats had said that they, that was something they would not cooperate in. And so, therefore, we're limited in having to push through legislation on a more partisan basis that had to be done through budget reconciliation, which is a, a complicated process in the Senate that, um, that, that allows you to pass a bill without the normal filibuster. Um, so, therefore, instead of a 60-vote threshold, you have a 50-vote threshold. But there are also additional complicating factors because they're pieces of legislation the parliamentarian could throw out. And I know that's complicated for a lot of people to try to, to understand that an unelected parliamentarian sits and decides what can be and can't be voted on in the Senate. But it is part of our balance of uh, checks and balance of power. And so in using that vehicle requires us to go through a lane that, that, that needed 50-plus votes. And it was more partisan because of the nature of Obamacare. And the timing was such that it had to be done our FY17 budget. So all that means that Obamacare had to be first. There's a lot of conversations that, well, why wasn't tax reform first or why wasn't infrastructure first? It's because if you're going to address Obamacare through this vehicle, you had to do it before pretty much the end of April, 1st of May, when the FY17 budget vehicle uh, expires. Having said that, Rick, once you're past Obamacare, there's all sorts of other legislation that we believe we can work on in a bipartisan manner. And I think you'll see the president continue to reach out to groups on those other issues. So on those Senate rules, and you mentioned the Gorsuch nomination, and you've made it clear, Mitch McConnell's made it clear that if the Democrats try to filibuster and they are indicating they will, you will invoke the so-called nuclear option, change the Senate rules to be able to confirm Supreme Court justice with a simple majority vote. My question to you is, you could also change the Senate rules, could you not, to do the same thing on legislation? Is there any consideration of just having the Senate simply do away with the filibuster and just say we're going to pass the president's agenda on a simple majority? Well, let's keep in mind first, John, the history here with Supreme Court justices. It wasn't until the George W. Bush administration the Democrats decided to start filibustering Supreme Court nominees. As you know, one of the more controversial nominations was Clarence Thomas' nomination, and he was confirmed on a 52-48 vote. He was not required to get 60 votes to overcome a filibuster. No, I understand. And you're, you're not going to make me talk about Abe Fortas again, are you? But I understand it's, it's, it's highly unusual to, to, to filibuster a Supreme Court nomination. I understand which is that. Where the Democrats, which is where the Democrats are going. And I think that uh, as far as what rules the Senate invokes, I think that is up to Mitch McConnell. 
and his team to answer is not for the White House to interject is to say, here are the rules in the sense that we think in the way that they should be. But I've I- heard no conversation, no conversation of changing the rules to, um, to, for legislation. I've heard that that has not come up, and it's not something that I believe the Senate is entertaining, but I believe that that decision entirely rests with Mitch McConnell and his team. So, Mark, before we let you go, uh, the president referred to a lot of lessons learned out of the, the health care vote. Uh, he talked about loyalty. He talked about Democrats. You're a vet of this stuff. You've been around a long time. What did you learn from this? What can you, Ooh, you feel like you do question, differently right? in your job That's going good. forward? I, I thank you. I think that there's, there's several lessons learned um, for us. And I think part of it was that the outreach to um, conservative groups was insufficient. I think that there are many groups that uh, – well, we were better able to explain that this is a this is a three-part process and talked about what the limits reconciliation were and some of the campaign promises of wanting to purchase insurance across state lines, and that was always part of our overall plan and why it couldn't be part of reconciliation. In many cases, those same groups are like, oh, well, nobody explained that to us. And I think that, unfortunately, um, the outreach to some of those groups was, was lacking as, as our only uh, excuse or defense that I can offer. Keep in mind that as this legislation was moving forward, we still didn't even have an HHS secretary. We didn't have Tom Price confirmed until about two weeks out. We didn't have a CMS director confirmed until about the eve of the vote. And so in many cases, a lot of the cabinet picks have been filibustered, which I think limited our ability to do a lot of the, the outreach that we would have wanted to do. But clearly, I think that's a lesson learned, is that there was, there was more education that could have been done with some of the typical conservative allies, the benefits of the plan, that I think when you're able to explain this is our best chance to defund Planned Parenthood. It was the biggest entitlement reform that we've had in generations. It was a trillion dollars in tax cuts that I think now changes the baseline for tax reform. There was a lot of great things to sell to conservatives that I think that, that uh, uh, doing again hopefully would have had a better opportunity to educate them on what those benefits were. All right, Mark Short, Legislative Affairs at the White House, the guy with one of the hardest jobs in Washington. Thanks a lot for taking a few minutes to talk to us. Rick and John, it's great to be with you. Thanks so much for your time. And we didn't even get a Nats prediction out of him. Big, oh, big man. One, 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 one of the great Nationals that's fans right, in this town. That's right. Legendary. Season ticket holder. Legendary. I gotta, you know, I'm worried that Mark's not going to be getting out to the games much. <laughs> uh, oh, come on. That's this what they is, make congressional uh, recess for, right? You know, you know that we can share those tickets anytime you want, John. So <laughs> I think that, uh, Thanks, Mark. Um, I'm excited about the season. I, uh, I, I, um, I think they need a couple more bats in the lineup right now. Yeah, well, maybe we need Zimmerman to come back. If we have the old Ryan Zimmerman, maybe <laughs> we can pull back. it off. He'll come back. He'll come back. I have, I have full faith in Ryan Zimmerman. All right, excellent. Thanks, Mark. Thanks, Mark. Okay, thanks, guys. See, I don't think it's about the bats. I think it's about the closer. <laughs> you little, I like that lineup. I actually, you, you look at that lineup pound for pound yeah. and you like it a lot. I mean, does Weeders look like uh, the, the power he could be? Sure. If, 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 if Ryan Zimmerman can come and hit 20-plus home runs and bat, you know. We've got to do a baseball preview show. Let's just you know, yeah. <laughs> let's throw this um, out the window. So, uh, by, by the way, first of all, it, it's interesting talking to, uh, to, to Mark Short, who, who uh, does seem to have – you know, uh, incredibly difficult job yeah. being the, the, the go-between that White House and that Congress. Uh, but he does have uh, he does have a strategic sense of, of, of what he's trying to do. And I think that Mark knows more than anybody the challenges ahead for that White House. When I asked him, look back uh, at the end of 2017, what are the uh, accomplishments we're going to see? I think it's notable that he talked about Gorsuch yeah. because I, I don't think that any other major accomplishment is a slam dunk right now. Um, uh, he will try heroically. Uh, 
uh, to uh, to get things done. But I think that they face a for the very math problem you mentioned, they face an incredible, an incredibly different road ahead, difficult road ahead. I, I also think telling for his framing of this is that his lesson is the outreach to conservative groups is insufficient. So for whatever you talk about the president's bluster on this and, and, and taking on the Freedom Caucus, what they realize is that they needed the cover of the of the outside conservative groups, the Freedom Partners of the World, which may have some familiarity with the Mark Short, by the way, uh, and also the, the Club for Growths and the Heritages. Uh, and, and if it's insufficient on their end, they haven't given up on conservatives yet. Uh, and I think they're putting quite a gamble now in, in terms of the pressure that Freedom Caucus members are going to feel back in their districts. Uh, that is going to be a very interesting set of town halls. These are not typically vulnerable members of Congress. They're pretty safe in their ruby-red districts. But if they're hearing back, hey, you're holding up Mr. Trump's agenda, you're holding up the, the repeal and replace of Obamacare, that's the kind of pressure they need to build because that's still the way to 216. Uh, it, it, there's no other way to slice this. There, the, as long as Obamacare is on the table, uh, we heard it from Terry McAuliffe on our, on our show earlier this week, they're not going to get any Democrats, zero. So y- if, you need, if you need to build that number up, you need to get the conservatives back. That's the only way to do it, and they're going to need the, 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 the Trump minions, the Trump masses to be out there pressuring these members. Good reference to uh, to a previous uh, Powerhouse Politics podcast. That's we listen the way, to them all. That's the way this town works. That's right. Um, so uh, I think that's all the time we have. We, we do have Jack Farrell. It's going to be in our in our very next podcast. Uh, Jack Farrell, author of, of the book on Nixon, uh, who will be talking about uh, the most embattled uh, press secretary in American history, and it's not Sean Spicer. Uh, so thank you for listening to Powerhouse Politics. Subscribe. You know, rate, rate us, us. Rate us. Give us high ratings. Tweet really us. Really high ratings. Tremendously high ratings. Tweet about us. Tweet to us. Tweet suggestions, complaints, compliments. Compliments are great. At John Carl. And at Rick Klein. And thank as always, f- click on us next time. Yes, and uh, we want to thank our acting executive uh, producer, Michelle Boncardo. I don't know where, uh, where David Rind kind of just took off on off. us. Yeah. Uh, you know, Kessler left us uh, many, Amazing. many moons ago. Uh, we thank Avery Miller for, uh, for her assistance in making this, uh, this podcast possible. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you.